Um, uh, before I get started, I just want to um, share. Uh, about five and a half years ago, I went on leave for a year. Uh, and so I, was, uh, I tried not to attend my own church, and I attempted to attend other churches. Um, and that's when I discovered that finding a church that preaches the gospel, um, that isn't preaching no, 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 as Larry said, is, is really hard, actually. Um, it is in my part of the world. Um, and so, you know, Mockingbird became a community that I wasn't expecting but needed to find. Um, and so, I, and I don't know that I've acknowledged that before. Um, and so I wanted to start by saying that when I needed a community to minister to me, um, Mockingbird did that, and it provided friends that I would not have had um, apart from that, uh, one of whom is Matt McGill, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful uh, for that friendship, and I'm grateful to see some familiar faces from the last time I was here. So I don't know how to do this without praying, um, but this is Texas, and I've seen Friday Night Lights, so I know you're okay with that, so uh, if you all would bow your heads. Everlasting and eternal Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people say. Amen. So, good morning. Uh, as I said, it's wonderful to be here in this grace-centric space where I can confess without any fear of judgment that I do not like Ted Lasso. <laughs> I was wrong about that. Uh, just kidding. I love Ted Lasso. In fact, in fact, I watched Ted Lasso months before David Zoll told us all to watch Ted Lasso, uh, which I count as one of my many pandemic year victories. As David said, my name is Jason Michelli, but you might know me as number 617 on the Peloton leaderboard for Jess King's 45-minute sweat steady ride. That's 617 out of 67,000, I might add. I'm not good at math, but that rounds up to pretty awesome. <laughs> I know my ranking because ever since we hunkered down and started sheltering in place, I started keeping score. For the past year, I have averaged an, uh, 800 miles per month cycling, which has been necessary to burn off all of the sourdough bread I've baked, the homemade pasta I have rolled and cut, and the home-brewed beer I have bottled. I've binged all the acclaimed shows from the golden age of television. I recently finished rereading the collected works of William Faulkner. I've redone our backyard, and I put in a patio. My kids are teenagers, so my homeschool parent proctoring really only amounts to shouting, get off your blank phone and do your homework. <laughs> Thanks to lessons learned on a vacation called cancer a few years ago, I was weeks ahead of everybody but the people in Texas when it comes to mask wearing, so I, I win on that level too. When everything shut down, my score went up. I even made a killing short-selling Peloton stock. I thought about documenting all of the winning on Instagram, but as a Christian, I'm called to be merciful, and, and, and that wouldn't be fair to mortals like you. <laughs> if there's one thing 2020 has revealed, it's, like, it's that I'm like the Mother Teresa of pandemic-related replacement religions. They're all working for me, 
Ironically, ironically, the one religion that hasn't been working, the one religion that seems stubbornly resistant to DIY hacks and virtual modifications and from the safety of your own home optimization, the one religion that has left me languishing is the one I preach. To explain why, I give you, as Exhibit A, Shirley Pitts. I know what you're thinking. No, Shirley is not from Texas. She's from Arkansas. Shirley is the closest thing I will ever have to a Flannery O'Connor character in my ministry. If you've read Flannery O'Connor, then I've already given away the game. And it won't surprise you to learn that I have in my inbox over 1,300 emails from Shirley. That's not a very good picture, though, so I thought rather than picture that, you pictured this. Uh, Sandra Bullock's friend from the blind side, the busybody friend, just picture her at like 70, 75, uh, and, and you'll, you'll have the point. Uh, I've brought some of Shirley's 1,300 emails with me today. I've not added anything to Shirley's words. I, I've taken away in places like Michelangelo with, with David, but, but I've not added. It's all Shirley. Now, if collating someone else's email strikes you as a lazy way to give a talk, well, cut me some slack. I don't live in Texas. It's been a year for us. Here's the first from Shirley. July 5th, 2005, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net, subject, communion, etc. Dear Jason, welcome to our wonderful church family. We met on Sunday morning. I was the good-looking lady with the Arkansas accent who, leaving church, asked you, you're not a Republican, are you? I whispered it pretty quietly, so I don't know why you didn't answer me. You probably noticed I didn't take communion Sunday. The reason I didn't was because I nearly choked on the piece of bread you gave me. It was large and had a lot of crust on it. I should have gone ahead and dipped it in the wine and just kept it in my hand until I got to the pew. But then my hand would have been all sticky, and who wants sticky hands? I might have had to shake a visitor's hand after worship, and then they would have thought I'm one of those terrible, disgusting people who have sweaty hands all the time. Gross. I can't help but wondering, do they teach you in seminary how to break off smaller pieces of communion? Probably not, I guess. They obviously don't teach you how to slow down and not talk so fast, either. You'll learn. On another subject, I heard a minister yesterday on TV who I think is just great. The reason I was so impressed with him was because his message was about religiosity versus spirituality. He quoted Joel 2.28 and emphasized the noun everyone and how God wants everyone to have an alive spirit. His name was Joel Osteen, I think. You should look him up. I haven't heard you preach yet, but I bet you preach just like him. Your new friend, Shirley Pitts. P.S. Did your last church not have a problem with your earring? <laughs> October 13th, 2005, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, coffee with the pastor. Jason, to follow up from last night's Meet the Pastor's Coffee, I most certainly did not purposely spill coffee on your crotch just because you told everyone how John Wesley supposedly was a terrible husband. I told you, it was an accident. But I will say, if I had done it on purpose, you would have deserved it. 
Why did you spend all your time last night talking about Martin Luther? You're supposed to be a proud United Methodist, and there you were last night bad-mouthing the founder of United Methodism. I couldn't believe it. I got so angry I could have, well, never mind. And another thing. I did not roll my eyes at that new member when he said he worked for the House Republicans. Maybe I was a little rude to him, but not rude enough that anyone would notice. You've got a lot of nerve accusing me of such things. Keep it up, and I'll bet you don't last at this church more than a couple of years. Shirley Pitts, longtime member. May 22nd, 2006, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net, subject fall commitment campaign. Jason. I have decided to withdraw from the Commitment Campaign Committee. I was so disappointed that the last meeting wasn't more civil. It's a shame that even in a church setting among Christians, the people can't value another's opinions. I just hate how some Christians gripe and gossip about other Christians. I could tell you a thing or two about some of those complainers at the meeting. <laughs> They're the reason we're in the mess we're in with our debt, and I heard one of them hardly even speaks to his wife. Maybe it's because he knows she's got someone else on the side, but you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll still be... <laughs> Don't worry, I'll still be in charge of the Meet the Pastor coffee. Lord knows if I'm not, you'll never tell our new members about John Wesley or what it means to be a Methodist, and there one would be be, surely. Wow. September 6, 2007, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net, subject, communion bread. Dear Jason, like I told you Sunday, I heard a lot of comments about the bread we had on Sunday for communion. It was sourdough, and it just didn't taste well with the wine. Think about it, for gosh sakes. It's called sourdough. Who wants to eat that? I bet Jesus refuses to even make himself present in bread so disgusting. <laughs> I hope you were joking when you said we could switch to wafers. This church will never go for wafers. We are not Catholics. Next, you'll be telling us to worship Mary and not read our Bibles like Catholics. <laughs> Blessings. <laughs> Shirley. September 9th, 2008, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, babies. Jason. When I was a social worker for child welfare in Little Rock, one day I came into the office to bring a baby for adoption. My boss looked at the way I was holding the baby and got all over me because she said that I should cradle a newborn baby in my arms. She said a young baby cannot hold up their head when they are so young and they could hurt their hearing if it tumbles over. I thought of what my boss said yesterday watching you juggle that poor baby all over the place during the baptism. <laughs> Maybe you should practice a little using a doll baby. Maybe I could find one at the Goodwill for you to use for practice. Not that I shop at the Goodwill myself. I imagine it smells like people who hassle you for handouts on the street. But I'd go to the Goodwill for you if you'd like me to look. Hope this is helpful. In his service. Surely. April 3rd, 2009, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, I forgive you. Pastor Jason, of course I know that ministers are people just like the rest of us, but in all my years in the church, I have never heard one lose their temper and say the sorts of things you said to me on Tuesday. I'm not sure what you meant by calling me a church lady, but I understood busybody all right. I should have known I was getting on a nerve when I saw your ears turn, led, turn red like they do when you get excited in the pulpit. 
But when our unmarried church secretary is pregnant again, I don't think it's out of bounds to wonder if she's going to remedy this situation and make herself a godly woman. I expect you regret slamming your office door so hard that ridiculous picture of Karl Barth fell off your wall. <laughs> well, even if you don't regret it, I forgive you. I don't understand why I upset you so, but I hope you can forgive me too. Surely. November 11, 2009, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net, subject, Paul. Jason, I wish you had known my husband, Paul. I still have people coming up to me and saying how they miss him. He held about every position you could have in the church. He was fun and caring and a wonderful husband and father. He was a commander in the Navy and was on three submarines. Mostly, though, I wish you'd known him because he was such a good Christian man. He was a better man than I deserved. Maybe you would think better of me if you could see how he thought I was better than I am. Actually, I suppose he knew exactly who I am and loved me anyways. I guess that's why you're always going on about grace. Lord, sometimes I think you've only got one sermon in you, but you've learned to preach it a hundred different ways. But when I think about Paul, I understand why maybe you do. Surely. December 11, 2011, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, directory. Jason, you probably know I'm volunteering to help with the pictorial directory for the, for the church. How are you doing? Are you okay? The reason I ask is because I was looking at your picture in the old directory and your picture in the new directory, and you look like you've gained a lot of weight, <laughs> especially in your face, like a little baby angel. Ha. There was a time when I probably would have said that to you differently without even thinking about how, it would mean, how, how mean it would sound. I like to think I'm different than I was. Surely. December 14th, 2011, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net, subject, Jews. Jason, where is it in Romans that Paul tells about how the Gentiles were let in to be loved by God even though they didn't deserve it? I have down here that you told me Romans 9 through 11, but that doesn't jive. My daughter-in-law doesn't think the Jews will be saved, and I told her you said they were saved. Of course, the bigger point seems to be that God responds to us killing Jesus by giving Jesus right back to us, so I don't know why anyone would think God's stingy with his grace. I don't know why, but lately more and more, I think about how I don't deserve God's grace. I've not always been a good or kind person. I've often been mean. I guess that's why they call it amazing grace, huh? By the way, I hate it when you make us sing all the verses of hymns like Amazing Grace. <laughs> Good Lord, who can stand up for that long and huff and puff through seven verses? <laughs> Love, Shirley. <laughs> January 14, 2012, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net, subject, Christmas. Jason, I teared up when I read your Christmas sermon thinking about how unconditional God's love is for us. My love for my boys has always been unconditional, for sure, but for other people? For people, I think my love has always come with strings attached. I know my love for you certainly wasn't unconditional. Remember that time years ago when I got furious with you because you wouldn't teach the Meet the Pastor folks about John Wesley, and I stormed out of your office and slammed the door so hard that picture of Karl Barth fell off your wall again? <laughs> of course, you have a picture of Karl Barth on your wall and not John Wesley, but never mind that now. 
See you Sunday, surely. January 23rd, 2012, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, no subject. Jason, after church, I went out to eat at Ruby Tuesdays with a bunch of women that usually go there after church. They started talking about the election. After a while, I told them that I was a Democrat. Marguerite said, are you a liberal? I said I wasn't, but I think I am. Then someone, I won't say who, but she used to work at the church, I think you know who I mean. <laughs> she said, all Democrats are liberals. I forgave her. I really did forgive her, too. It used to be that I wouldn't have. You know what I thought about it afterwards? That life is too short to, it, to waste it on petty grudges. I don't know if I thought that because I'm getting older or because I'm getting more Christian. What do you think, I wonder? Maybe we confuse holiness with getting older and no longer having the energy for some of our usual ways of sinning. I just wish we had more Democrats in our church. If you ask me, the Republicans need to be in the Baptist church. Surely. February 6, 2012, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, new members. Jason, a couple named Kelly and Joe put down that they would like to join the church. I called her and come to find out she went to middle school, high school, and college with you. I asked her if you're the same now as you were back then, and she said no. She said you were nice back then, but that you're different now too. <laughs> it got me thinking about what people who knew me way back when would say about me today. Would they say I'm no different than I was? It makes me really sad to think that maybe they would. I can't think of anything worse than to have gone to church your whole life and not end up a, a different person, can you? But if Jesus is not dead, as you're constantly saying, you really should come up with some different turns of phrase. If Jesus is not dead, then it seems to me stupid. It seems stupid to me to think that people can't change. I hope he's changed me. I suppose I'm about the last person who could judge such a thing. Surely. April 6, 2012, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, Jesus. Jason, I know you're busy with Easter things, but this has been on my mind. When I've prayed before, I've always prayed to God, not Jesus. I love Jesus, and I know he did so much for so many, but I've always thought I needed to pray to God. I've started to pray to Jesus lately, like you do in church sometimes. And you know what? Praying to Jesus like I'm talking directly to him makes me a lot more conscious of being more like him, which makes me more conscious of how much I am not like him, which makes me more conscious of how gracious he must be to love someone like me. It's surprising how coming back to that again and again like a circle has made such a difference to me, and I hope in me, surely. August 13th, 2012, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, naked. Jason, about an hour ago, I was driving down Fort Hunt Road, and I saw a man I thought was naked, like that man in Mark's Gospel when Jesus is arrested. What an odd detail. Anyways, I thought this man was naked, but when I got closer, I saw he just had a shirt off and some terrifically short shorts. Cue up the slide for visual effect. Well, not, there we go. I get it honest. When I got closer, I saw he just had a shirt off and some terrifically short shorts. 
When I saw that it was you, I whistled out my window. <laughs> Did you know it was me? You should be careful going around like that half naked. There's a lot of older women in our congregation who've been missing their men for a long time. <laughs> ha. Lord, I hope you never mention that in a sermon. My real point was to say that years ago, seeing you like that running around like a Chippendale would have irritated me something awful. But instead, I just laugh because I've grown to appreciate you. I guess that's God's grace. Lovingly, Shirley. May 22nd, 2013, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, Les's funeral. Jason, you did a wonderful job with the funeral yesterday. In fact, I left praying that you'll be the one to do my service one day. Funerals should be honest about how every Christian is a mixture of sinner and saint. You know better than most my ratio of those two qualities. <laughs> I think funerals can afford to be honest, too, because of how you put the gospel one time in your sermon on the prodigal son. You said, God says to us, nothing you can do to, can make me love you more, nothing you do can make me love you less. I've done plenty, I confess. Your precious boys, who, who are Hispanic, your precious boys make me regret every ignorant thing I have ever said about Hispanics. I've never been racist, I don't think. But ignorant? Probably. Probably in ways you can't even notice when you've grown up in a place like I did in Arkansas. I wonder if that's what's meant by original sin. You're just born into sins like racism, and you need God's help to exercise it from you. Surely. February 10th, 2015, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, love you. Jason, I don't know if you're checking your email or not. I heard about your surgery and how it's likely cancer and how it's likely bad. I just left a message on your voicemail. I called the nurse's station at the hospital too, but they said they couldn't connect me since I'm not family. I thought about telling them a thing or two about church family, but I worried that if I was pushy, they'd take it out on you, and I'm sure you're hard enough to handle as a patient as it is. <laughs> Anyways, I wanted you to know that I love you. I prayed for you tonight and for your wife and your beautiful boys. Love, Shirley. February 5th, 2016, from Shirley M. Pitts at Cox.net. Subject, Cancer Buddies. Jason. Who would have guessed that we'd end up getting cancer together at the same time? I'm down in Richmond now in a facility. It's nice and it's near Alan and Steve, but I miss my church. I hope that before I die, and I know I'm dying, you can come visit me. In the past, I would have been too vain to have anyone see me like this, but I don't care now. I guess that sounds like bragging, doesn't it? And that's a sort of vanity too. Being Christian never really gets easier, does it? Have you seen those bumper stickers that say, God's not a Republican? Lord, I hope they're not wrong. <laughs> In Christ, surely. The theologian Robert Jensen called our false gods and idols and replacement religions, he called them barren deities. And the problem with the barren deities, Jensen says, isn't that they cannot inspire you to be a new you or improve your life in practical ways or, or offer you a, a meaningful experience. The problem with our barren deities is not their utility, it's their 
veracity. The problem with our barren deities is that they are not true. However, the, the gospel, though it's true, comes with the problem of its own. It's seemingly too good to be true. This is why Martin Luther says we cannot self-apply the promises of Scripture. We need a preacher. We need a, a local forgiveness person. We need someone outside of us to bear witness to us about the thing that's too good to be true. We need someone to say it's really true. But what this past year has proven to me, what I think Shirley's correspondence points out, is that for the too good to be true gospel to be believed, we require more than a preacher. We need a church. That is, we need all the slights and misunderstandings and the hurts and the brokenness and the betrayals and the forgiveness and the redemption that, that come with a life lived with others who are at least as sinful as you. I mean, I'm like the Francis Assisi of the Church of Peloton. But on the Peloton, the only real person I can see is me. My reflection in the screen. And even when I don't like myself that much, I still like myself better than I like you. <laughs> but a religion centered on God's grace for sinners, if it's to be believed like down in our marrow, it requires other people. Specifically, God's grace for sinners requires sinners. People for me to trespass against and people to trespass against me. Another reason we cannot self-apply the gospel is that the message of God's grace for real people requires real people in our lives. And by real people, I mean the people with whom we would never choose to be friends were it not for our prior friendship with Jesus. Without those inconvenient people in your life, in the flesh, the gospel becomes an abstraction that fails to connect to the realities of everyday life. In her editorial for the New York Times about the Derek Chauvin trial that, that David linked to last week, Elizabeth Brunig notes how the power of forgiveness presumes the pain of interpersonal damages. She writes, and I got the quote for you. She writes, Forgiveness doesn't feel particularly triumphant. It's a gift no one wants to be in the position to give. It releases a wrongdoing, wrongdoer from moral debt for their own good and the common good, not for the sake of the wronged. And it provides a place for those emotions that circle vulture-like around one's thoughts to finally come to rest, no longer nourished by attention. It's a strange and wanting gift for a strange and wanting world, and I would never admonish anyone for declining to extend it. God knows I've failed in the practice as often as I've succeeded. But I want to live in a world where it's possible to forgive and be forgiven. In fact, I think it's necessary. And I think it emerges not from a place of moral victory, but from the realization of human brokenness the recognition of things lost that can't be regained, and the emptiness that holds their place. It's from these gaps that beautiful things sometimes grow. Good news for broken people requires people breaking other people, people who are up close to one another to make dents and, and leave bruises, piercing our tender places and chipping away at our facades, people who say, yet, in the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you. The New Testament scholar John Barclay calls this Paul's social vision of grace. Grace, he writes, does not depend on human accounts of worth, but gives worth, the only worth that counts, the worth of being loved by God. He writes, and here's the quote, that is, of course, easier to affirm than to feel. 
Against our individualistic desire to know and feel this from ourselves, Paul offers a social vision of a community in which each person honors and affirms the other. That is a powerful injunction. It gives each person responsibility to ensure that others hear what they might not be able to tell themselves. It gives each person responsibility to ensure that others hear what they might not be able to tell themselves, to express the worth of each one for whom Christ died. That is why patient, resilient, and long-term relationships are, in the end, the only way to express the true worth of one another. If close relationships are fragile and few, they may prove insufficient. And a diverse community like a church, for all its difficulties, might prove in the long term more resilient than a single or limited base. Moreover, the church can articulate that the worth of each person is dependent on a reality greater than its own fallible resources. That when all else fails, the love of God does not. For the too good to be true gospel to believe, we need not only a preacher to proclaim it and a community of sinners to occasion it, but also a church to embody it. And I think this is why the only place where the word refreshment is found in the New Testament is in that passage that David cited the other night in the book of Acts, where Peter and John heal a lame beggar near the beautiful gate at the temple. To the astonished onlookers, Peter proclaims the grace of God who gives back to us the Jesus whom we crucified. Turn, therefore, Peter preaches. Turn away from your sins so that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come. Luke reports in Acts that Peter and John had gone to the temple that day at the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, the ninth hour was the appointed time for believers to offer the daily sacrifices prescribed by the law. So in other words, Peter's message of grace comes against the backdrop of our attempts to justify ourselves under the law. Theologians and biblical scholars disagree on what Peter might mean by times of refreshing. Karl Barth interpreted it eschatologically, saying Peter was pointing to the kingdom rest that will be ours with the second advent. Fleming Rutledge and others interpret it more broadly as discrete moments of blessing and, and mercy that those who trust the gospel can discern in everyday life. But whichever way you cut it, the conclusion is clear. The respite and relief and, and, and rest that Peter points to, it comes only after we have turned away from our individual attempts at self-justification. Refreshment comes only after we have turned away from our barren deities and our replacement religions and our DIY attempts for enoughness and turned towards turned all together, shoulder to shoulder, bumping into one another and inconveniencing one another, turned towards a, a real-life flesh-and-blood preacher who knows who we are and not who we pretend to be, and in spite of who we are, proclaims that in Jesus Christ there is nothing we can do to make us God love, love, love us less. And even more refreshing news, there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. Well, I have had the energy this past year to climb as high as number 500 on Alex Toussaint's 60-minute hip-hop ride. I have languished in my faith. And the more I think about it, I think it's because the shutdown in, in my part of the world has spared me the inconvenience of people like Shirley Pitts. People like Shirley, who wrote to me in her final email, subject... I miss my church. Jason, 
I'm sorry I've not been writing you as frequently. I've told you before how I miss you and how much I miss my church. The more I thought about it over, the more I thought about it, the more I started to fear you'd think I was just flattering you so you'll say nice things about me at my funeral. What I meant is that I'm finding it mighty hard to be a Christian by myself, stuck here in bed like I am. I've been saying my prayers like I've always done. I've been reading my Bible every day like I have these last few years. I even try to watch the preachers that come on the television. I don't find that any of it works for me, though. Maybe it's because I have more regrets than others and much more about myself that I'm ashamed of. But it's just been hard for me to hold on to believing that I'm forgiven for all of it when the promise isn't coming from another person, especially one who knows me, clay vessel and all. It's just too good to be true, too good to believe unless you have someone else assuring you, giving you permission to believe it. That's why I'd like to see you one last time when you're able to see you, but also I'd like to confess my sins to you before I go. And even more, I'd like to hear you tell me how God forgives me for all of them. Not because I don't believe it, really, but because believing it is what Christians share in common. You think that's why John Wesley said the communion of saints was his favorite part of the creed? Communion of sinners is more like it. Ha! <laughs> Love, surely. Offered to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.